Hi, it me, your host, Anna Ladd, and this is So Help Me. This is the third and last episode of So Help Me. I've been learning a lot, including how to properly tease an episode to create maximum listener interest. I will now demonstrate this important and sought-after professional skill to start the show. <clears throat> Cue theme. On this week's episode, realizing what's important while floating in a thousand pounds of salt. I met my friend Casey my freshman year of college. We're a lot alike. We're both tall enough to feel weird in most settings. We both love what many would dismiss as pretentious photography. And we've both learned to cope with crippling anxiety. We've even gotten over the millennial fear of talking on the phone. Hello. Hi, it me. Hi. <laughs> what is up? Back in college, Casey and I looked out for each other. I could tell she was feeling overwhelmed and anxious when she just stopped talking in social situations. According to Casey, my anxiety looked different. How how would you have described me to a stranger uh, back in college? A lot of talking fast. <laughs> a lot of deep breaths in between. No chill. You were always working on something. Like, just... If I asked you how you were doing, it would just be like always a new thing that you're working on. I would be like, oh, cool. Just like a workaholic. I feel seen. My freshman year, I felt like I had to be doing something all the time. I barely slept and I was constantly overstimulated. Every light was too bright. Every sound was too loud. It was the weird thing where you're very productive, but also totally spiraling and miserable. Good band name. I may have looked productive, but I knew that unless I found a way to get my anxiety under control, I'd end up having to go home and admit that art school had defeated me. But before that happened, I had an epiphany. I was just like looking around the room because I was bored, I guess. And I caught sight of your computer screen. <laughs> and I was just like enthralled. I was just staring at it like, what is going on on there? This was the epiphany. On my screen, there were dozens of tiny pastel-colored squares. You know, those Mac stickies that are supposed to look like digital post-it notes. There was a sticky for every day of the week. Each day sticky was meticulously broken down hour by hour, with a specific task assigned to each hour. Just sticky notes scattered everywhere, and it's like kind of organized looking, but also like very scary looking. I didn't think they were scary. Unless you think salvation is scary. The genius of the notes was how they broke any big project or commitment into its smallest possible parts. So, if I had to write a paper for class, on the stickies, it looked like this. Brainstorm. Research. Outline the research. Pull quotes. Order the quotes. Outline the paper. Write 500 words. Have lunch. Write 500 words. Brief nap. Write 500 words and so forth. There was also a sticky that just read, do your laundry. The laundry sticky was yellow, always yellow. I scheduled my whole month down to the hour. On November 1st at 1.30, I could tell you what I'd be doing on November 30th at 
I also scheduled in time to work on my schedule. Seriously. I feel like you were trying to take everything that was going on in your head and you tried to like organize it in the form of the sticky notes app on your Mac. <laughs> um, I feel like you were like simultaneously very proud of it. Um, and also a little embarrassed by it. <laughs> now, one way to look at this is that a very anxious young woman was proud of basically inventing a really shitty way to have a calendar. I chose not to see it that way. The sticky calendars worked. I knew exactly what I was doing and when I was doing it, so I didn't feel so anxious. Things at college actually became fun. I mean, mostly fun. A sufficient amount of fun. Bottom line, with help from the stickies, things went fine, and I graduated. After college, things were less fine. Instead of being able to organize my life into neat little blocks of activities and homework, my whole life felt like one big homework assignment called Find a Career. No matter what I did or what I put in the calendar, I felt like I was falling behind. It felt like everyone else had a career and a real adult life, and I didn't. This made me more anxious than I'd ever been before. But rather than thoughtfully take stock of my life, I decided that being even more intense and rigid about my sticky note calendars would somehow make me an adult. If I didn't complete a task on the calendar in the time allowed, I would cut down on time with friends to complete it. I didn't deserve that time with friends, I thought. And so I stopped seeing friends as much. And when I would see them, I'd hang out for exactly as long as the calendar allowed, and then I would leave. It went on like that for months. I kept going and going and going. And it was during this going and going and going that one of my friends, Steph, died suddenly. Steph had been a big part of my life. She was one of the first people to encourage me to play songs that I'd written in front of people. I hadn't been brave enough to do that before Steph. In the year before she died, I had been too busy following through with my calendar to stay in touch. Thinking about that hurt a lot. In the days after Steph died, I saw my friends a lot. We got together at a friend's apartment and told stories about her. A few days later, I went to an even bigger get-together with friends at her favorite bar in Philly. And a month after that, there was a music festival friends put on as a tribute to Steph. And then, normal life returned. Steph's death was a kind of what-are-your-priorities reality check for a while. But then, I started obsessing over my career and what I was going to do with my goddamn life again. And with that, crippling anxiety returned. Stronger, actually, than it ever been before. But this time, rather than returning to the sticky calendars, I looked for a, dare I say, healthier option to deal with my anxiety. The thing people will tell you to do during times of crisis is to meditate. The thought of it is appealing. Having a still, peaceful mind sounds great. But I can never actually get there. When I try to meditate, my mind just locks in on all the things on my to-do list I could be doing instead. 
So I decided to try something that gives you all the benefits of meditation without having to sit on your living room floor trying to achieve inner peace. A float tank. They work like this. You step into a very small windowless room. It's filled with a foot of water in which a thousand pounds of Epsom salt has been dissolved. You turn off all the lights. Then you lie back and float in total darkness. It's like a room that forces you to meditate. They're said to help with a bunch of anxiety symptoms like irritability and trouble sleeping. They're also supposed to lower blood pressure and levels of cortisol, the stress hormone. Float tanks, people call them isolation tanks sometimes, or sensory deprivation tanks, have a fascinating father, Dr. John C. Lilly. He's best known for his experiments where he attempted to communicate with dolphins in the 50s and 60s. Really, they even made a movie about it called Day of the Dolphin. Before his dolphin fame, though, he invented float tanks as part of a neurophysiology experiment at the National Institute of Mental Health. He was trying to determine if the brain needed external stimulation to remain conscious. Spoiler, it doesn't. Lily's first subject in the experiment was himself. Being in the tank for the first time profoundly changed his life. Here's how he described the experience of being in the tank in an interview. It allows one to escape one's body, and one can clean one's karma from one's soul and become pure spirit. This was such an astonishing discovery that I didn't dare speak of it at the time. I was working with a bunch of psychiatrists at the National Institute of Mental Health, and they would have thought I was psychotic. Lily's experiments with float tanks took him further from the scientific mainstream. He started using the float tanks in combination with LSD and ketamine. But he spent years proselytizing about the benefits of float tanks outside his work. Lily died in 2001, but I talked to two of his devoted students who still preach the gospel of float tanks. I'm Lee Perry. Well, I'm the president of Samadhi Tank Company. I'm, I'm her husband. And I'm not the president. Lee and Glenn Perry run Samadhi Tank Company in California. They've been building and selling float tanks since the 70s. In the 1980s, they opened up an early float center in California. It was a huge success. All kinds of people came to give floating a try. Like Michael Crichton, the guy who wrote Jurassic Park came when he had writer's block and eventually got one for his own home. Professional sports teams got their own tanks too. The first, my beloved Philadelphia Eagles. Lee says float centers started to pop up around the world, but it didn't last. In the 80s, she says, people got scared that AIDS could be transmitted through the water in the tanks. Spoiler, it can't. A lot of float centers closed up, including Lee and Glenn's. But all these years later, they still make and sell tanks. Glenn floats every day. He told me the first time he floated, it changed his life. He'd been a painfully shy computer programmer, but then he read one of Lily's books and decided to attend one of Lily's five-day workshops about human consciousness. And it was at that workshop that Glenn went inside a float tank for the first time. And after an hour... The whole world was a scintillating, 
shimmering, shining energy system. And time was moving in a different way than I had ever noticed it before. We had lunch, and after lunch, John asked me to share my experience. Well, I was able to do that comfortably. And I thought anything that could make me comfortable talking to people had to be absolutely incredible. I mean, I had been shy and weird and everything all my life. And now, from one float, I was able to easily talk to the group and I felt comfortable and energized and alive. I found a place nearby where you can rent time in an isolation tank for $89 an hour. And I made an appointment for a few days later. That's after the break. When I got to Lift Next Level Floats in Brooklyn, I was greeted by a very cute dog and the owners, David and Gina. This yes, They had me sign a release form, though I had a question first. Signing my name. If the world ends while I'm in there, <laughs> what happens? <laughs> uh, that's a very good question. Well, then I guess you won't be missing too much out here. That's fair. Welcome to Lyft Next Level Floats. This video will provide a brief introduction on how to use the float tanks at Lyft. Then they gave me a video to watch to prepare for the experience of being in the tank. It walked you through the whole process. You will find earplugs in the tray on the bench. The earplugs will help you prevent water getting trapped in your ears. They have thought of everything, other than the end of the world. Now, lie back and float. Don't worry, the Epsom salt solution will support you. Now you are all set to enjoy your float. The room after, you know, I know you saw the video, so I'll just review, and if you have questions, then uh, just let me know. Gina took me down a long, tastefully decorated hallway to the tank. I was still nervous. So what should I expect? I think really the best way to answer that is you really want to go in with no expectations. Um, that's when you're going to have the best float. And uh, as they say, it's like you get, the, you get the float you need, not always the one that you want. So sometimes people are going in seeking one benefit and they experience one uh, totally different. So Gina told me to take a quick shower before going in. I don't know how to turn the fucking shower off. Is this in the video? Oh, dear. This was all supposed to be relaxing, but at that moment, I was feeling the panic of trying to figure out an unfamiliar shower. Eventually, Gina returned to help me. I was twisting the lever instead of lifting it. An honest mistake. When I was showered, it was time. I got in the tank and closed the door. I feel like I am suspended in yogurt in a good way. The tank is a small pod-like room like a futuristic bathtub with LCD stars on the ceiling. 
They make the water skin temperature so that after a few minutes, it's hard to tell where your body ends and the water begins. It is also, and I cannot stress this enough, profoundly quiet. I could hear my organs doing stuff. Other than the stars, it was completely dark. At first, I felt antsy. I ping-ponged myself back and forth between the walls. I was afraid to relax. But floating in a warm pool of water in a dark room after not sleeping enough the night before is powerful. I started to relax. I was calm and still, and for a bit, my mind went blank. But then things started popping into my mind. At first, how I would write about being in the tank. But then, other stuff. I started to think about Steph. The first thing I remembered, for some reason, was that Steph unironically loved The Fast and the Furious. And then, a clear image of Steph popped into my mind. She had on her big art teacher-style glasses, I say that with love, a lip ring, brown hair that I remembered was green for a while. Steph was nine years older than me, which was intimidating at first. And she was an electrician, which was intimidatingly cool. She played in bands, was always at shows. She ran her own record label called Girls Cartel Records. And she had a podcast. Hey everyone, I'm Steph and welcome to the first Girls Cartel radio show. Here is a song from a band from California called Blissed Out. The song's called Because I Hate Myself. Her podcast is like a time capsule of that time in Philly. Everyone was in a band. Some of the bands weren't that great, but they had great band names. They're also going to be playing a show with Queen Moo, Deer Pines, Yuppie Flu, and All Riot down in Wallingford. If you haven't heard of any of those bands, or even some of those bands, you should check them. When I met Steph, I was just starting to play music. And she did the best thing someone can do for you when you're a young artist or musician or whatever. She took me seriously. She showed up to the shitty basement shows I played. And then, way before I was ready, she included me in shows she booked herself. She made me feel like I was a part of something that I had always wanted to be a part of. She even played my songs on her podcast. A live version of Punk Time Makes Me Nervous from Anna Ladd from the Brig session that she did recently. And then, at some point, I remembered that after she died, I'd realized that I didn't have any pictures with her. And that I'd exhausted every folder and every hard drive looking for one. Around the time I was having that thought, my hour in the tank was up. Thank you so much. This was awesome. After a second shower, I got dressed and said goodbye to David at the front desk. Then I started walking back to the office. Walking back to the office, I was surprised by how good I felt. Not happy, not sad, but good. I wasn't putting together a mental list of my tasks for the rest of the day. I was just walking. 
So the float tank works. It quieted the part of my brain that loves to fixate on schedules and time and getting things done. When I was in the tank, I wasn't thinking about any of those things. But floating also did something I wasn't expecting it to. It made room in my head for things that can't be scheduled. You cannot, I've learned, work through grief by putting mourn friend, regret behavior, 2.30 to 3.30, on a to-do list. Look, I know this sounds like a cliche, but grief takes time. You just have to sit with it. Or lie down in a pool of salty water with it. That works too. So Help Me is produced by Chris Bra Neary and edited by Devin Taylor and Nazanin Rafsanjani. This episode is mixed by Sam Bear. The theme song is by Coping Skills. Listen to them, copingskills.bandcamp.com. There's other music from Blue Dot Sessions and Marmoset, and original music by Gimlet's own Haley Shaw. Lee and Glenn Perry wrote a book called Floating in Quiet Darkness. You can find it on their website at samaditank.com. Samadhi is S-A-M-A-D-H-I. Thanks to Lift Next Level Floats in Brooklyn for letting us record in the tank. Their website is liftfloats.com. Special thanks to Peter Sudfeld, Alex Stolte, Chelsea Lease, Augie Vita Colonna, everyone who helped me hunt for audio on this one, and Steph's family. You can listen to the music that Steph released at girlscartelrecords.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening, and go birds. Go birds.